chasing me! Blockbuster Film School! I Blockbuster Film School. There is no other way out than the Blockbuster Film School. It's a cool new house you bought us, Daddy. Yeah, I got a good deal on it. It's a really good deal. Nothing weird in this house. Honey, this house seems like it's too expensive for us. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there was a curse because there was a witch who got buried here and, you know, they desecrated her corpse, but I'm pretty sure it'll go fine. What's that noise? Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh, wait, I'm insane now. It's 70s horror here at the Blockbuster Film School. That's right. Happy Halloween. You lucky, lucky blockbuster film school devils, you are here in the greatest film school in the history of time. I am second in command, which Alexander Bonner, joined as always by the supreme, Mr. Nicholas Souder. Hi, this is me, High Energy. Hello. <laughs> Keeping it going. He's doing a great job. We're joined as always by King of the Ghouls, Super producer Brian Tepps. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hey. It's uh <laughs> thanks, Brian. It's nice to see you. Um well, everybody, in case you didn't just catch my intro, we're doing 70s horror. Now we did an 80s horror. If you want to go back in the archive. Listen to the first half. First only. episode goes good. Second episode, a weird gas came into the room. Yes. In the studio for the second episode, in which me and Nick lost our minds. Yes. It was a gas yes. known only as the White Claw Fog. <laughs> if you've ever seen that scene from Tim Burton's Batman, mm. we are drinking that purple smoke. Yes, we didn't put the mask on. We showed up for the date, yeah. but did not put the mask on. Where did you get these wonderful toys? But we are going to do it a little differently than we did 80s horror. Because 80s horror... I think we tried to get every 80s horror movie ever made into a two-hour episode. Didn't work. No. We will caveat a few things up front. We will have an Italian horror episode. We'll have a Dario Argento episode. We will have a black exploitation horror episode. There will be lots and lots of cool side horror episodes. But this 70s horror episode is going to be more of a fun Halloween. Ooh, ooh, get your nipple clamps on for Halloween. That's a tradition, right? Not just, not just when I hung out with those I wear my special kid. ones on Halloween. Exactly, exactly, for Catholicism. And so what Take I'm that saying... Away. Cut that out. No, 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 no. No, 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 that's true. That's a real thing. I don't want to be associated with Catholicism. As a, as a strong Catholic, that's real. You got to wear your Halloween nipple clamps. That's the thing. I'm not a Catholic. Nick is a, he is a raging Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. He has that, that classic New Jersey tattoo on his, his right bicep of the hands praying. It's nice of you to call a, a bicep <laughs> instead of a man breast. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to do more like our some of the episodes that everybody likes, like the rom-com episode. And um, on our Patreon, there's a buddy cop episode that I'm referencing only because ACAP, but also it's kind of a fun episode. But also, we- it's not up and it's never going to be up. But nice segue <laughs> to the Patreon episode anyways. There are exclusive episodes up. Right. I'm keeping the energy high as I tell you. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. <laughs> That's Shake hands with the devil as you drive through the gates of hell. That is correct. And follow us on Instagram and say hello. Feel free. Hit us up. We're nice people. Tell your friends. 
We're nice young boys. Grab uh, your friends by the shirt collar. Mm-hmm. Shake oh, them. Please. Tell them to be like, like Blockbuster Film School is going to kill me. Blockbuster Film they School. They stole my baby. Do it or else. They kept mentioning uh, that guy with the plane. Oh, they've got a chainsaw and they live in the middle of nowhere in Texas. Like every hillbilly in Limburg, Texas. Limburg, baby. Limburg, baby. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is Limburg, great. Limburg, baby. But it honestly is just what happens if you get captured by weirdos in the middle of nowhere in Texas, right? That's just... Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. Unless you're in Austin or literally <laughs> where the San Antonio Spurs play. <laughs> in that arena. In yes, that correct. arena. But if Tim David Duncan... David Robinson will protect you. It, right. If Tim Duncan isn't there, get out. No. Because Matt Bonner, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him. I mean, is that your last name? He's, he's, he's a Bonner, or... honestly. And he's a redhead Bonner. Dangerous. Wow. Dangerous. All Somebody right. needs to capture that man and throw some garlic on him. <laughs> At least some salt. Yeah! So, yeah! We're just going to go into some horror 70s. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the greatest hits here. We're going to talk about some great stuff. Nick, now I know it's not our normal caveat. Yeah. But if you were to think to yourself, I know this is a, a weird kind of conundrum, nebulous question, but... When it really started to dawn on you as a blockbuster film school person, as a nerd like myself, what was the first 70s horror movie that really jumped out at you in your life that you can think of? Truly jumped out. Double entendre. Truly jumped out was, I saw Dawn of the Dead when I was like 10. Awesome. And I fell in love with it. I love that movie. I watch it every year. Because also I didn't realize that that movie is made for less than a million dollars, considering how grand scale it was. Also, the other movie was Halloween, which when I found out, like, this is the thing. Like, exactly. I saw it, I was like in seventh grade. It was because of Blockbuster. Blockbuster was selling, and I still have it, the VHS of Blockbuster version of, yeah, it's amazing. I have four VHSs of Halloween. Yes, because they just kept buying it and buying it. Because, like, oh, this one is extras and this and this. But they're all remastered. The best one mm. is the Blockbuster version because it looks like it's from the 70s. But that is the reason why I wanted to make low-budget movies because they oh, made well. that for $325,000. Like, they had three sets. It was amazing. It blew my fucking mind. They had a Captain Kirk mask yeah. on a guy. And it was horrifying. A Captain Kirk mask and a Jiffy Lube uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and... It was terrifying. Yeah. And I agree entirely. Halloween, particularly that blockbuster one with the so orange button. They never made another one like that that no. I can think of. They never released anything like that. It was so good, so cool. And also for people who are younger who may be listening, the blockbuster at Halloween was a thing, particularly at that moment in the 90s when blockbuster, I think, kind of Netflix optioned the rights to Halloween so they could release the VHS at that moment. So cool. I will say, though, in my family, I was shown a little movie called, I think it's called The Jaws, right? It's uh, where a shark has been roaming around. Oh, it's the French film, Le Jaws. Le Jaws. Le Jaws. And it's a shark has been roaming around for thousands of years trying to kill Robert Shaw. And that may have been the first horror movie I actually really, truly saw. I loved it. It was scary in a way, but Jaws really opens the gate for 70s horror. Yeah. There's pre-Jaws and post-Jaws. I got to say something, though. Yes. It's controversial. Hmm. Now, 
despite the fact that I saw Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. before I was eight years old, I saw Orca first. So I thought Jaws was a ripoff of Orca. <laughs> That's I had a so very adorable. confusing I was, childhood. I was, we were talking about this where Orca is a movie, if you've never seen, that's a 70s horror movie. We'll get into that yeah. a little bit. There were many Jaws ripoffs. Oh, yeah. If anyone doesn't know, Jaws was a b- 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 mega hit to the point where now Steven Spielberg is legally allowed to walk into your house and punch you in the face. And you are not allowed to say anything. You have to say thank you, Mr. Spielberg. Because if you don't, He's allowed to sue you. Yeah. Um, in the 80s later, he would truly tell the MPAA, you need to make a rating between PG and R if you're going to give me shit. And in two months, the MPAA made PG-13 because Steven Spielberg bitched. And that's how powerful Steven Spielberg is in the movie industry. But Orca is hilarious, though, because it truly <laughs> is... It's true. You could... The, the absolute, you know, movie producer with the gold chains, like... It's a whale. Listen, we need to make another one of these Jaws movies, but it can't be a shark. It's got to be another scary type of animal, another one that's, like, different, you know? And he's one of those, what's a different type of shark that's not a shark that's, like, more, you know, like, got, like, face makeup, like a clown? And they're like, uh... What's the lady (laughs) version of a shark? Yeah, what's that shark called? What's a shark called if it was, like, a ballet dancer? Like, uh, I don't... (laughs) A dolphin. <laughs> yeah, that's not terrifying at all. For the record, yeah. I've never seen Orca. I've, but I've heard. Wait, really? Because Orca is a I've never little, seen it. It's disconcerting because Orcas are not really scary unless you try to keep them in a SeaWorld tank for years and then they finally freak out and murder you. Which Most, You deserve it. Yeah, kind of. That's true. I don't want to get too far into Blackfish, that documentary, but it's extremely disconcerting. It's horrifying. It's a horror movie unto itself. Let's just get into some of our favorites, because here's the thing. As we said, there's many caveats. There's 9,000 70s horror movies. I will bring this up very quickly. 70s in American horror, in American Hollywood cinema, as well as in Italian cinema, Japanese cinema, British cinema, this would be the moment that horror would change. There had been some scary movies from the 50s and 60s. There had been particularly some scary movies in the silent film era. I thought there's actually scarier movies in German expressionism and things like this. But in 50s and 60s horror movies, it's a lot of the attack of the ants of the 9,000 worlds, and it is not scary, right? It is... There's a lot of good scary movies from the 60s. You're right. And we will do a 60s horror, and there are. But this is Valentine's Day special. Ooh, that'd be nice. It's romantic. Yeah. George Romero a little bit. But this, the 70s in Hollywood is when the horror movies go mainstream. And not just mainstream. This is when they go indie. This is when they become part of the pop culture. This is when they become part of the mainstream culture. This is when horror movies really enter the zeitgeist of the entire worldwide movie experience. Is that fair? I mean, from what I've read and seen, I wasn't around. That is also fair. You are 14 years older than me. I am 64 years old. That is correct. Ario Speedwagon is Do you dope. think I'm 50? Right. You're you're 50, right? That is my favorite joke from uh, Ocean's 12. Clooney walks with the Cheetles and he's got headphones on. He, like, he takes his headphones off. Do I look 50? And she's just like, yeah. Only from the neck up, though. Did you make that joke the last podcast? No. <laughs> I made it during the ocean. During the- I know, I'm just kidding. I, know, I love it, though. I, lo- I like that story a lot. Um, you're right. 
I was not around, but I'm saying from a movie historian point of view, before this, horror movies had still been kind of a niche, right? It had been, you know, midnight movies. It had been for kids a little bit. It had been to scare teenagers. In the 70s, some of your best filmmakers begin to make them. They become blockbusters. They become really, truly part of the movie experience. And the horror genre has not left, has not has not only not left the cinema, it may be the most profitable genre, like, from budget to money, like, that is running around. And still, as we talked about a little bit, in horror, a lot of times, because we talked about the sort of slightly pornographic element where if you can make a movie that's scary, it really doesn't matter who you are, right? It really doesn't matter where you came from. It really doesn't matter what caveat you're using. It doesn't matter what actors you're using. If the movie comes out and it's cool and it's scary, as you talked about with, say, Halloween, nobody knew who Jamie Lee Curtis was at the time. Nobody knew who PJ Souls was at the time. This was a truly underground movie that now is something that everyone registers as part of their lives. 70s horror also, I think, is a bit of a boomer scene. It's interesting, too, because... So Psycho is pop culture. Psycho is a sure, huge phenomenon. You're right. Don't get me wrong. There's always been thrillers. There's always been horror. The fact that if you really look at movies from after the silent film era, particularly, what's the big mega zeitgeist horror movie from the 1940s? Like, there's lots of really cool noirs. There's lots of romances. There's lots of musicals. There's lots of a lot of the genres that still exist today, comedies. But horror kind of takes a lull, right? And whether that's the conservativeness of the culture after World War II, like, who knows exactly why? But what's interesting is that I wonder sometimes because, I mean, we can get in all the crazy psychology if we want one day, but I think we should just talk about the movies themselves. But there is, I think, a correlation because Vietnam is crazy. People are seeing death on television with Vietnam in America. Hollywood's movies are trying to make these kind of bland late 60s, early 70s movies with the exception of maybe like Hitchcock and things like that. And when Gen Xers really start to come into their own with, say, Mr. Steven Spielberg, you know, and we'll get into a lot of other John Carpenter. I mean, we'll get into tons and tons of awesome directors who are baby boomers. One of the things that they want to make are horror movies. And I don't know what the correlation is necessarily, but I do find it interesting that a generation that saw a lot of horror on the television and experienced a sort of weird boredom all decided to make some of the craziest, scariest movies of all time. And it particularly blew up in the seventies. What's your take on that, Nick? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like seventies horror films were very political. I feel like they were really showing the differences between, well, the American dream ended in the sixties mm. and horror movies started showing that it's not just like a Vietnam thing. It's like a coming to terms with you are stuck within your life. You're stuck within this thing. You're stuck with your surroundings. And if your surroundings are a guy whose face is covered in leather, someone's house, or if you are a alcoholic sheriff who gets kicked out of New York and you go, you know, try to keep Richard Dreyfus from being eaten by a shark, <laughs> that is your life. I, I think these 70s horror things were more about just being stuck 
mm. in the reality of everyday life, yeah. no matter what your life was. Yeah. Like Dawn of the Dead is an apocalypse movie, mm. but they're still at the fucking mall, man. They're yeah. still right there. Halloween, everybody celebrates Halloween. It's a big deal here. And there's just a guy, and he's going to kill your babysitter. I agree. I would even say this, as you're saying, kind of, as this is beginning to be kind of the descent of the American golden age, a lot of stuff is very kind of safe. You know what I'm saying? And people feel safe in the suburbs. There isn't crime wars of prohibition or things like this. And so the idea of what now becomes scary is, is there just a knife-wielding maniac is there just a shark on the loose? Is there zombies? Is there just to break up the monotony of... And the white flight thing is absolutely there. And that particularly the element of the suburbs, you know, and or living in condos, living in towers. Shivers. Yes, that these idyllic places could be shattered at any moment. And that's, for me, a lot of the 70s horror is idyllic places that are shattered by horrific things that are now there that wouldn't normally be there. The 80s and the 90s stuff would have its own different takes, but the 70s stuff, I feel, is very much like a shattering of equilibrium. But let's just talk about some 70s horror. Let's do it. I will position this, though. I truly, like, when you go through the early 70s, 1970 is still a lot of the 60s stuff. You know, some of the movies that came out in 1970 is like James Kelly's The Beast in the Cellar and a movie called Bigfoot by Robert Slatner and Bloodthirsty Butchers and Count... There's a lot of Dracula stuff. There's a lot of vampire stuff. Well, watch watch what you're saying around this guy. <laughs> like, there's, and what's considered horror is still in that kind of 60s tradition of some grindhouse, some cheese ball. There's Trog. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Trog, which is a Freddie Francis movie with Joan Crawford about a caveman who murders people. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And it wouldn't be until I think you get into a little bit of like the crazies comes out in 1973, which is George Romero. Do you like the crazies, Nick? I'm a big fan of the crazies. I like the crazies too. And I'm a big George Romero fan. George Romero is truly one of the big breakthroughs in my opinion. I know he kind of starts in the sixties, but George Romero, as you talked about, hits his stride in the seventies. If you haven't seen the crazies, it's such a same thing of just what if the world went insane? I mean, isn't that kind of what it is? Yeah. And <laughs> just everyone started murdering everyone, which I mean, what I if mean, people mur- always murdered everybody? Well, that is fair, but normally for money, you know? Yeah. Or religion. <laughs> More people have died. Potato, in the name of God. potato. <laughs> what do you got to do before you leave church? You got to pass that collection plate around. Nick Rogue starts to make movies in the 70s. Ivan Reitman made Cannibal Girls in 1973, which is a pretty fun, insane movie. That's Ivan Reitman's first movie. If you've never seen Cannibal Girls, it's not great, but it's got Ghostbusters vibes. It does. It really does. Uh, so I'll skip it. <laughs> oh, dog, come on. You love Ghostbusters. I really don't. You, It's your favorite movie. I feel like you're projecting. I've, I feel like... I've, <laughs> Nicholas Rogue makes a movie in 1973 called Don't Look Now with Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. That's a great movie. That's a fucking spooky yeah, monster at- movie. And it starts 
a lot of cerebral stuff too. The cerebral horror in the 70s of taking that kind of tradition that's already happening in the 70s with guys like Scorsese and and you're going to add horror to it. I mean, you're going to add supernatural elements. Also, if you don't know who Nick Rogue is, uh, he's an amazing Australian director who directed Walkabout and The Man Who Fell to Earth and The Witches, which is a 1990 movie, but still really great. Which you can catch on... The remake that Zemeckis made on HBO Max starring blah, 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 blah. I will say in 1973, there's a movie I think we should talk about. I think we both like a William Friedkin film called The Exorcist, which I would also make an argument begins kind of the 70s horror tradition. Is there the little kid named Damien who's got 666 in his head? Not quite, but that's a good one too. But uh, I would say that Reagan in uh, The Exorcist is way scarier than Damien. Yeah. I fucking let Jesus fuck you. Like, <laughs> your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> Let's have this conversation. I, yeah. I think <laughs> Exorcist is a scarier film. Mm. I don't know, man. Those fucking bare-ass bamboons Oof. jumping on the car, that's fucking scary. That's terrifying. But maybe it is my own Catholic upbringing. And not just the Catholic upbringing, but also my weird pagan side of my upbringing. The idea of dark entities playing with Ouija boards. And these stories are not necessarily, like, religious. They've been around forever. That if you fuck around and, like, accidentally have a demon encounter you, it might fuck with your life. In the horror tradition story, people have been telling that story in Africa. People have been telling that story in Asia. Like, if you screw around and the black shadow gets inside of you it could turn you and kill the whole town. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a real story that people have been telling around the campfire for a long, long time, and someone actually made that movie, and it was actually scary. And I don't know, do you still think The Exorcist is scary? It's scary to me because I have a very weird moment with that movie where I actually got that movie from Columbia House. For you younger folks... (laughs) This is going to seem like such a crazy idea. Yeah. But back in the day, <laughs> you would yeah. sign up for a program. That's a, That's a horror story in it's itself. It's a horror story in itself. <laughs> they offered you seven movies for $1 as long as you bought one $50 movie for the rest of the time that you were a part of it. 12 CDs for a penny. The Columbia House also had 12 CDs for a penny. AKA $30,000 at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. This ended so poorly, my mom had to yell at them on the phone. But one of the movies I got was The Exorcist. There was a documentary in the beginning, and I'm like, this is cool, but I don't care. So I'm (laughs) fast-forwarding through this brand-new sealed VHS special edition of The Exorcist, and the movie stopped on its own three times. My VCR never did this. Hmm. And each time it stopped and started playing, one of the characters was saying Satan. And I'm like... Cool. This is terrifying. Well, this actually explains a lot about you. <laughs> it does. Did it stop right on when the Captain Howdy would flash? Like uh once it did. Oh my yeah. god. Our I, house was haunted. We did this shit with a Ouija board. There's a I got a little touch of the goosebumps on that one, just a little bit. There's something very spooky about that movie. I saw The Exorcist when they re-released it in theaters for its 20th anniversary in 1997. And there was a thing, and I think I may have told you the story before, but it was a 35 millimeter print. And when they released it in 1977, they do a subliminal thing where there's a f- literally a Tyler Durden blip of Captain Howdy two times in the movie. Yeah. And in 1977, no one saw it. No one remembered seeing it. But in 1997, 
or excuse me, 1973, in 2003, that's what it is for the 30th anniversary. In 2003, everyone saw it. I saw it. I don't know what it is, whether it's video games or what, but for some reason that was somehow strangely disconcerting to me. Or I give William Friedkin a lot of credit. I love William Friedkin's movies and also just the classic Hollywood creativity and skill level of that movie. That that score is iconic. Yeah. The writing in it is really It's solid. a perfect movie. It really is. Like Also, William Freakin is one of two Mark Maron podcasts I've listened to <laughs> all the way through. The other was Paul Thomas Anderson. Also, I've been to those stairs where the priest threw himself out and like, you know, threw up, you know, double peace signs like a dildo. We'll continue. We gotta keep moving because there's so many 70s horror. 73, though, two I gotta toss out there. Michael Crichton directs a movie called Westworld. Not that great a horror movie, but would end up putting Michael Crichton into Hollywood. And also, I like Westworld on HBO. I think it's a great show, and I think it's kind of interesting that it would spawn that. Also, Robin Hardy would make a movie called The Wicker Man. Love The Wicker Man. The Ridge, especially. I love Christopher Lee. I think I ran out of runway with him as a vampire. Because like he's in like a dozen Hammer films as... It's Dracula's wardrobe. <laughs> it's Dracula's dinner party. And Dracula's you know what? Here's the thing. Nails. Nobody dies at the dinner party. He just yeah. has a nice dinner. He does. but He, he doesn't does, eat. He does a lot of cool finger work. Yeah. There's a lot of, this is a podcast. You can't see my fingers moving, but. But um, <laughs> whenever Christopher Lee does anything in a horror movie and he's not Dracula, I fucking love it. <laughs> That's fair. I, I appreciate that. Um, Although I do think he has the most iconic, like, Hiss as a vampire. Ooh. Him and Bella Lugosi, too, had kind of a certain thing. Yeah. But my favorite Bella Lugosi is Martin Landau. Oh, of course. <laughs> Eddie! Eddie, where's my medicine? 1974, The honestly, the only one that's really jumping out at me is a movie by a man named Toby Hooper, a little movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And... I know me and you are both big fans of that. And I know there have been Psycho. I know there have been some other ones. But of the true first, in my opinion, slasher movie, there's a man with a chainsaw. A man with a leather face and an apron called Leatherface. That's right. And he has a chainsaw. And guess what? There's a massacre. And guess where it is? Tennessee. <laughs> the Tennessee. Chase. I'm gonna. I have a. <laughs> That's way more hillbilly. Yeah. <laughs> That's about a moonshine truck crashing. <laughs> it's full of mellow yellow too. <laughs> oh, God, I don't think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a slasher movie. Ooh. I think retroactively, because of the tropes it created and like what it did, people have just ripped it off and turned it into right. the slasher genre. But when you watch that. That movie is straight up art house. I agree. It's weird pace. There's really not a plot. It's a character study and it's a comment on like rural America being left in the dust mm. for all this other shit that's going on, industrial shit and fucking commerce farming and everything else. And like the remastered version of this, it looks like something you would go see at the music box on 70 millimeter. This score is experimental. Mm. These are actors who I've never seen anything else other than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Where it goes off the rail and sucks. Yes. <laughs> Extreme, like, I know. That's right. I'm coming in hard to you horror nerds. I'm sorry, but Chop Top, music is my life. Uh, it's lame. 
it's hard for me not to like a movie Dennis Hopper's in. I know. This is really bad. But the Ridge is... Boxes were created to put it in much later. Yeah. The original one, for what it is, it is just like this American Gothic fucking horror film that just... Snap, snap, snap. (sighs) It is visceral, and it just fucking comes at you. And you know what? Also, thank you, Toby Hooper, for making a movie where it's okay to think someone in a wheelchair is an asshole. People <laughs> with physical disabilities are real people, too. Yeah. And guess what? They can be murders. Sometimes they're cunts. Yeah. When that fat piece of shit, I'm fat, I'm fat shaming, and when that fucking loud asshole dies, I am so happy. Dude, people in wheelchairs can totally be evil. Dick Cheney. But also, with... My only last thing, though, I have to say, though, as you, I agree with you entirely, it is kind of this art house. It is kind of this last picture show that happens to be a horror movie. It's really wild. But a man wielding a chainsaw, chasing a woman covered in blood, screaming, would become iconic to a level that is now ubiquitous. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's There's no denying that. Right. That's all. That's kind of all yeah. I meant, really. But it also ends with a man dressed up like a woman who's cooking a meal mm. and does a ballet piece <laughs> oh my God, yes. with his chainsaw at the end that has launched the greatest T-shirt in history where it's just like all the steps and all these Technicolor colors and oh. it just says, disco. Disco. But we're going into 1975. As I said, the caveat, just going to position it one more time. This is when, in my mind, 70s horror in Italy blows up in Asian particularly Hong Kong and Japan blows up and we will have episodes for a lot of that right now. It's kind of Hollywood, but you brought a bug bug comes out in 1975. I know you're a big fan. I did not bring a bug. You brought a bug. <laughs> I did never. <laughs> the dead don't die. Curtis Harrington. It's kind of a fun zombie movie as well. There's a couple of movies that come out in 1975. Picnic at hanging rock, Peter Weir. I don't know if that's really a horror movie, but it's spooky. It's a spooky movie. There's a little movie called The Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a great fucking movie. Jim Sharman, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not scary in the slightest. It's not scary at all. It's scary that you could have that much fun watching a movie. You went. (laughs) You need to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. Patient. (laughs) It's a take on a lot of these already occurring 70s horror tropes. They're already in the middle of it, enough to write an amazing rock opera about it. There's Shivers, David Cronenberg. Shivers, I fucking love. Mm. I love Shivers. I feel like Shivers helped part of that whole, like, the Virgin Survives thing because literally everybody just... Barbara Steele. Yeah. But, like, everyone just passes along this fucking evil virus by fucking and then it ends with a pool party orgy where you're just like oh the world is doomed oh yes i love cronenberg it's already kind of gross like cronenberg already kind of sexy like cronenberg we'll get into some of our takes of who maybe the best 70s horror movie director is i know cronenberg would come into his own in a lot of 80s stuff but his 70s stuff is wild style i know he's canadian but he's pretty goddamn exciting in his horror movies and shivers is it's spooky. The Stepford Wives, the original, the Brian Forbes Stepford Wives. You ever see that? Yeah, I like it. That's all right. I agree. But the big movie in 1975. Trilogy of Terror. That is correct. No, in 1975, horror in the mainstream goes nuclear. It goes 
next level, Steven Spielberg makes a movie called Jaws. And it's not Jack the Ripper. It's a shark. What's your take on Jaws, Nick? Absolute classic. Absolute classic. As you said, for me, a perfect movie. I watch it at least once a year. I still see no flaws. I know there's still some effects that if you really, with a microscope, look at them, but they're covered by exceptional direction. And also, go back and listen to our John Williams episode. John Williams covers up a lot. Any cracks in the spackle, John Williams could cover it. Eh. In a lot of ways. I want to say this. Mm -hmm. The shark looks fake still. Mm -hmm. But it's charming. Yes, same. And also... It's a fake shark, but who's the guy who plays, uh, what's his fuck? Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw is really dying. Yeah. Oh, no. He is really being being eaten by a shark. shark. Oh, that's such a great scene. It does not matter. Spoilers. It does not matter how fake the shark looked when it came on the deck of the boat. Yeah. Because, my fucking God, let him go, man. Just let him go. Oh, the blood and the, he's eating the boat and the man. Yeah. And you love Roy Schneider. You love Richard Dreyfuss. You do not want them to die. You're in. You, it's bizarre. It's Spielberg magic at its highest sorcery. I mean, there were lines around the block. That had never happened for a horror movie, ever. Psycho. Yeah, true. I suppose that's true. But to this level, to this, they called it the blockbuster. You know, that it was, after this, literally we'll talk about all these ripoffs of Jaws, What's the next Jaws? Who's the next Spielberg? Who does Spielberg know who's friends of his? Give them a job. We don't give a shit. This is something that prints money. This guy has caught into something. And it. what's weird, in this moment, if you're listening to A Thousand Years, we are in the coronavirus, and there's a mayor who's saying, keep the beaches open because to make some goddamn money, even though everyone's getting eaten by sharks. And they're like, no, you shouldn't do that. They're getting eaten by sharks. And he's like, keep the beaches open. Until some other, like, children get eaten by sharks. Unfortunately, he does not get eaten by a shark. But you understand the equivalency I'm making here, yes? You're not talking to me. You're talking to the audience, and you switched to me. I'm alive in the coronavirus (laughs) epic with you. But you started off, like, if you're listening to this a thousand years in the future, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be alive a thousand years in the future. I don't know. If I am, I'm not going to be listening to our podcast. I've already heard it right now. Never say never. To get a little technical, mm-hmm. my favorite Spielberg one mm. is in Jaws. Because Roy Schneider gets in the boat with them, and the fucking mayor is telling him all this stuff about keeping the beaches open, and the camera just stays still, mm. and the background just keeps changing, and they keep moving the boat. And there's like five setups in a minute and a half. And it is absolute gold, but it is so subtle, you never notice. Yes. Spielberg never did one-take scenes the way everybody else does. No. Like Paul Thomas Anderson and like all these, yeah. like Scorsese, Scorsese yeah. and Kubrick, they show you it. Mm. Spielberg just puts it in front of you and then lets you just like watch the background change. You don't know what's going on. And in Jaws, it's got the best one mm. Also the iconic, the maybe the best push zoom of all time when... Roy Schneider's face? Yeah, on the beach when the kid starts freaking out and then just the push zoom into him and just a little light, John Williams. Also, if there was a time machine, yeah, I'd do a lot of things. Mm. What I would love to do is go back in time, get young Richard Dreyfus, make a movie with him, yes. send him back, and then never talk to the old version. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm sure one day... We will have a a couple-part Spielberg episodes. It'll be fab. We can go deep into that. 
But I think it's time for 1976. What do you think, Nick? Deep Red's a great movie. The Last of the Locusts is oh, not yeah. that great, but it's fun. It is fun. And In Search of Dracula has Christopher Lee narrating about the origins of Vlad the Impaler. Cool. So it's not actually him as a vampire. Mm. He's just talking about vampires, so that's cool. That sounds fun as shit. I haven't seen that movie, but I would love to. Man, AMC back in the day had everything. Good deep cut. Good deep cut. Can we go to 76? Yes. I love your hot takes on 75, though. 76, another big breakthrough for a couple of people. There's a horror writer who's a little, people like his books a little bit. His name is Stephen King. And his first novel was a novel called Carrie. And a man named Brian De Palma made a movie with Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie. And PJ Souls. And PJ Souls, your dirty pillows. That also iconic to this day. Don't mess with the nerd girl at prom because she will telekinetically burn you all to death. Spoiler alert, but I'm just saying. Also, it is just rude. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a jerk move, but you have to be slightly worried because Carrie's also a pretty damn good movie. I know it's remembered for that iconic scene at the end, but it, when De Palma is good, De Palma is good. When he is bad, he is very bad, but sometimes he pulls it off. And there's no fucking middle ground. There's no middle ground on Brian De Palma. But Carrie, I would say, goes in the very good, in my opinion. I think Carrie is still to this day incredibly watchable, incredibly current. Nothing of it feels super dated. I don't know. What do you think about Carrie, Nick? I like it. I'm not a huge fan. It's a little melodramatic. There's, yeah. There's, I honestly think the scariest scene is the first scene in the shower where oh. she doesn't realize she's having her period and, like, no one's explaining to her and then all the girls start throwing tampons at you. That's, like, something you would expect in a fucking Cronenberg movie. That's body horror. And also, I think when King is really operating, his scariest characters are human characters who do evil human stuff. And it just so happens there's supernatural stuff in there, but the scariest ones are the humans. Yeah. Most of the time, in the haunted town full of ghosts, it's always the, like, racist redneck murderer or the gang of evil teenage girls. You know what I'm saying? It's always the humans who are the really evil beasts. And I always, I always appreciate that about King's stuff is, I think if there's ever an overhanging thing of Stephen King's point... It's that no matter how spooky and supernatural it is, the really dangerous characters are all the humans. Yes. And I think Carrie is truly that movie. And it's his first. And it's Brian De Palma's Hollywood breakthrough and creates another Hollywood genre of the teen Hollywood movie. You know, the Hollywood horror movie, even before we get into some of these slasher ones, even really before people processed, like you said, you know, Texas Chainsaw had come out, but this was a movie about teenagers, about teenage life and about... It was about 28-year-olds who were yeah. teenagers. <laughs> yeah. John Travolta looks as old as he does now. <laughs> well, Scientology has its powers, yeah. okay? If you let Xenu into your life, there's that King Kong remake in 76. The one with Jeff Bridges? Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I think the one in 76, the other one is the Richard Donner. You mentioned him. All for you, Damien. All for you. And then your housekeeper jumps off of a building. And you're like, wait, what's what's going on? Which is just, in my opinion, what I learned from The Omen 
was that if you have children, they are made of evil and they will kill your housekeeper. That's the point of that movie, right? That's all I ever took away from it. <laughs> that don't go to the fucking zoo. That is also true. Also, if you dress your kid like Angus Young from ACDC, he's going to be fucked up. Angus Young is fine. Angus Young is fine, but he's dressed like Damien from The Omen. He's wearing a pageboy hat. Look. He's wearing I, shorts. <laughs> we never bring it up. Yes, he's wearing a tie. But you are officially just ragging on my kid. <laughs> he likes the way he dresses. That's right, Damien. You know what? As much as I love Richard Dahmer, I have seen The Omen a couple of times. It do- I, don't, I don't know. I like it. It's good. It's creepy. Yeah. I think creepy goes a long way. I agree. I agree. Um, I really like The Omen. It's not The Exorcist, but I mean, nothing is except for um, Repossessed. Ooh. With, no, don't ooh, repossess. Ooh. That's the one with fucking uh, The <laughs> Naked Gun. I know, it's stupid as shit. A little bit of a shout. Total creep, but I have oh, to- Oh, The Tenant? Yeah. yeah. It's a scary movie. It's scary as shit. He's a scary individual. He made- no shit. He made a couple of scary movies. He's a genuinely dangerous individual- Fuck him on a lot of levels, but he made The Tenant and he made another movie in the 70s and they're insanely iconic and they're genuinely terrifying. They're uh, not so much the second one, but The Tenant, The Tenant is more upsetting to me. I guess I know why, but uh, man, I don't know. Shelley Winters in that movie. Hoof, goof. To the Devil, a Daughter, a Peter Sykes movie. That's kind of a cool movie. I like that movie. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Kinski and fucking Christopher Lee. Yes, for sure. See, I make one comment about not wanting to offend Brian about mentioning Christopher Lee, and now I'm just going to talk about Christopher Lee every I'm fucking fine with year. It. This was his. I mean, Christopher Lee is amazing. He, he is. is. He was a white wizard. He is the third black. best part of Gremlins too. I mean, Christopher Lee's iconic, but the seventy. If we're if we're truly to say what's the heyday of Christopher Lee, it's kind of the seventies when he's really rocking and rolling and being Christopher Lee. That's truly the moment in my mind. Any other 76? The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Ooh. Which which fucking Jason would run up ripping that whole look off in Friday the 13th, part two and three until he got his hockey mask from that fat kid. Agreed. Also, David Fincher would talk about how that movie inspired Zodiac of the idea of oh, yeah, absolutely. Like a never-solved murder that just haunts. It's less the murders and more the never-solving it that haunts people, that freaks them out. And makes them into weird half people. And that's such an interesting take in that movie and way ahead of its time. And yeah, The Town Who Feared Sundown, for sure. The Town That Dreaded Sundown, excuse me. This is not a horror film, but Assault on Precinct 13 Mm. is basically a riff on Rio Bravo. But if John Carpenter didn't direct that, De Laurentiis' daughter never would have seen it, never got in contact with him, Never would have made Halloween. True. And there'd never be like Green Room or a lot of these weird kind of standoff horror movies that are a little, they're not exactly horror movies, they're thrillers, but they're, the standoff movie is an interesting, and we'll get into that a little bit, that, I mean, that's a little bit like Aliens too, but yes, for sure. But it's time for the year 1977, and there are a few things to talk about in 1977. There are some interesting first appearances and a few movies that we just absolutely have to talk about just a little bit. I think one that I have to toss out in 1977, a movie called Eraserhead is made by Mr. David Lynch. 
who I would argue, in my opinion, is the best technical horror movie director of all time. I make this argument because Mr. David Lynch will find a way to frighten you in ways that you weren't even really expecting. You're not even sure why you are being frightened. The scene you're watching isn't traditionally frightening. He doesn't use jump scares. He just uses soundscapes and close-ups and strange music. And if David Lynch wants to frighten you, he's not just going to frighten you. He's going to scar you. He's going to disconcert the inside of your goddamn soul. That doesn't really happen in Eraserhead. Nope. Nope. But it is his first shot. It's more, I've said it to you earlier. We were talking about a little, we talk about movies all the time, but I was talking about how. No, we don't. We've never talked about movies before this podcast. (laughs) Eraserhead feels to me like kind of the goofy parts of Twin Peaks but it still has that element where it's the goofy fun parts, the goofy fun parts, and then there's a close-up on someone's hand and there's something getting pulled out of someone's fingernail. And there's a strange undercurrent sound and almost like the insides of your eyelids begin to shake and you aren't quite sure, am I being frightened of a horror movie or is some sort of weird wizard fucking with me? I don't know. What do you think of Eraserhead, Nick? It's okay. I don't have the same reaction to it you do. I, it took it, me like three days to watch. Yeah. It's just. Eraserhead is not great. I just wanted to bring him up because David Lynch does appear in the 70s. Yeah. And that's kind of why I just, he would have much better movies, much more terrifying movies. I briefly bring up the weird homeless demon in Mulholland Drive. If you don't, I'm talking about. Yeah. Super producer Brian Tepp's just side. Uh, yeah. But I just wanted to bring him up because he himself appears in the 70s. Exorcist 2, The Heretic, directed by John Borman. Kind of wild style. I love John Borman. You love or hate John Borman. I understand. I like Excalibur a lot. Zardoz is real weird. (laughs) Deliverance is horrifying. I mean, John Borman is also another one who, if John really is in the right peak of doing acid, he will scare you. If he's too wine drunk, it's just stupid. I think wine drunk on Exorcist 2. What do you think? At the very least. <laughs> Another one who will appear. We talked about him later. We have differing opinions on him, but The Hills Have Eyes. Mr. Wes Craven. What do you think of The Hills Have Eyes, Nick? I don't like it. <laughs> I've never no, I've never been a huge Wes Craven fan. Right. He's made a few classics, in my yeah. opinion, but I don't like the Hills of Eyes. I don't like The Last House on the Left. Mm, I don't either. I don't yeah. like Last House on the Left. But I do like Scream. I do like Nightmare on Elm Street. But I would make the argument that neither of those movies actually scared me at all. They just play in the horror genre and are interesting movies. Yeah. Part of the thing about like movies in the 70s where if it's just like they're just trying to shock the audience. Like, oh, that's a horror film. Right. Right. I agree. But this is Wes appears in the 70s. You know, just kind of wanted to toss him out there. And and The Hills Have Eyes is kind of dumb. It's maybe his dumbest movie, I would say. No, the dumbest is Shocker. <laughs> Without a fucking doubt. <laughs> what are you oh talking about? Oh, my God, that guy's hand's alive. What are you talking I'm about? I'm going to kill you. No, this is not true. Any inmate who is put in the electric chair can then jump back through the telephone lines and stab you in the Also, dick. the people on the stairs is 
just plain stupid. Yeah. He's really good at titles. I'll give him this. Yeah. The I watched have The Serpent Eyes. and the Rainbow three times. Yes. And it turns out just Bill Pullman <laughs> in a box. <laughs> All of his titles are great. I do want to bring up, so there will be a whole Japanese horror episode. There will be an entire, but Nobiko uh, Obayashi's house. I still got to see that in theaters. Oh, man. 35 millimeter print at Doc Films at Hyde Park. So- it was... It's a little slow, but yes. the parts that are not are just fucking batshit crazy. Batshit crazy, but so transcendent and so influential on so much stuff. To everyone from Wes Anderson to Pixar. I mean, honestly, that movie, when you watch it, like you said, a little slow, but when you really begin to register its influence on the world around us and what a quote-unquote horror movie could be, it's so... If you've never seen House, it's bonkers. I don't think it's going on my wall, but... It's one of those ones where I think you should watch it. Orca, the killer whale. Yeah, what if uh, what if there was like Jaws, but it was like a little more like, you know, like like sexier, like it had tits. What kind of animal has tits? No animal. Uh, humans. Nah, nah, nah. Like, you know, like an underwater animal. A manatee. That's Orca. There is a movie I like, a Michael Winter movie called The Sentinel. If you've never seen The Sentinel, it's genuinely disconcerting. It's about a weird old man who lives in an apartment building who, in a closet, has a doorway to fucking hell. <laughs> hey, Mr. Peason, you ever see that old movie, The Sentinel? Oh, man. I only watched that movie because of the burbs, so I thank you, Joe Dante. Same, And we will bring up Joe in a little bit. But it's worth watching, and it's fun and terrifying. There's another movie, and like I said, we will also do an Italian horror movie, but... Dario Argenta directs a little movie called Suspiria. Suspiria. What do you think of Suspiria, Nick? I absolutely love it. It is the only dance movie I can think of Mm. that has no dancing in it. (laughs) There's three seconds of it, and then the main character goes, and then she falls down. And, of course, she doesn't say like that, because if you don't know this, all Gallo films, all Italian horror films in the 70s, you know, they're probably going to bring it back soon. Yeah. Everybody just read their lines in their own natural language. <laughs> didn't matter if you're Romanian. Didn't matter if you're fucking German, English, Italian. Tower you just, of Babel. Whatever language you spoke, you spoke it, and then they overdubbed it later in ADR. Yes. It takes a minute to get over, but then when it's not there, you kind of miss it. It's mm. like terrible cereal, and then you get a new box. You're like, why did I get this? <laughs> but I want to just bring this up. Yeah. I got to see... With one of our Patreon members, bring up the Patreon again, uh, Kiara took me to go see Goblin do the live score for a screening of Suspiria like two years cool. ago at Reggie's. It was truly special. Ooh, I agree with everything you just said. Also, if you've never seen Suspiria, truly psychedelic horror in the sense of I don't really think I've never really been truly frightened of a Dario Argento movie, but the psychedelia of it becomes in your mind and it haunts you. It's more ghostly, more... It's chaos. It's chaos and it's spooky. It's true yeah. spookiness and it's ultimate spookiness. And also the colors and the wild. It's magical. So, it's magical. Very good, very yeah. good word. And I will also... I know it's not the 70s, but that remake with Tilda. So good. Watch these back to back. Oh, man. The, the, Watch them back to back. The Tilda remake is so yeah. just... Mm, mm. Also, I realize, like, 
There are other actors in there, but Tilda's in it like five fucking times. No. That is a Tilda movie yes. to like the point of no return. Agreed. Agreed. Truly, I love Tilda Swinton. I maybe up there in my list yeah. of favorite actors that I could just watch Absolutely. In anything. Also, anytime. I I never I never do this. I try not to bring up the aesthetics of people yes. and their appearances. Mm. And I never thought about this until I saw this movie. Right. Dakota Johnson, if you're listening. <laughs> That's it. Fair. That's and also Jessica Harper in Suspiria. Oh, so she's iconic, so good. So she's like, amazing. So many comic book characters have been made after her. I mean, Suspiria is something yeah. you should watch. And in the same regard as killing that fucking jerk off mm. in the wheelchair. <laughs> yes. This guy's not as bad. Right. But it's like, <laughs> but you don't really care when they kill a blind man. <laughs> well, they're, spoiler alert, they're witches. So don't mess with the Coven of Witches. Yeah. Just don't do it. Any 77 opinions, Nick, that I've missed out on? Oh, yeah. Rabid. The Cronenberg movie. Oh, yes. Cronenberg's still kicking out Canadian stuff. Super weird. <laughs> Super if you have, If you've ever had any armpit phobias, <laughs> do not watch this movie. <laughs> yes, correct. I have so many armpit phobias. I'm very worried that at any moment someone will put an orange in there and I'll just crush it out and there'll be delicious orange juice all over my my armpit. I having deja vu. <laughs> I mean this I've brought this up before. What? About armpit phobias and that's you've made that joke. No, no, I've never said anything weird like that. I've never said anything weird before. Any other seventy seven before we go into seventy eight? I don't see anything I really want to talk about. I agree. Uh, 78, there is a movie directed by John DeBello that is called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> We're getting into a little bit of fudge weirdo territory. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is stupid, but I watched it. And Roger Corman made some money. Roger Corman, a guy who will have his own episode. Roger Corman definitely made 70s quote-unquote horror movies. They often were goofy. They often were almost exploitative. If nothing else, they were parody. They were satire. They were lots of mayhem. And we wouldn't have anything like Scary Movie or we wouldn't have... Or even, I think, Mel Brooks talked about how he himself was even influenced by Roger Corman and how you can do anything you want with cinema. You can do anything you want. Fuck them. Don't listen to them, truly. If they say you can't make a movie that's whatever weird side of the zeitgeist they're wrong you can make it just do it damien omen 2 <laughs> have you ever seen that movie omen 2 oh, i've seen a bunch of stupid damien yeah, it's movies bad. It's bad. It's bad however one of our favorites one of the classics of all classics even beyond horror mr george a romero makes a little movie called dawn of the dead now, there had been many Return of the Dead, there had been zombie movies, there had been, but in my opinion, in 1978, Dawn of the Dead, there is no Walking Dead, there is no Resident Evil, the truly, truly modern concept of the zombie movie appears in 1978 with Dawn of the Dead. It incorporates modern life, it incorporates, like you said, elements of satire, Elements of civilizational unrest, civilization crumbling. You have Dawn of the Dead thoughts. I love Dawn of the Dead. I cannot go too long without watching it, or at least watching a few scenes from it. Yes. 
I start jonesing for it. I absolutely adore this movie. Mm. I don't even know how to describe it. I think it's perfect. I love the characters. The characters have arcs. The characters are trapped. You see the real, just mundane horror of surviving. And that's something we're all going through right now. Or like we were all pretending to go through the first few months of this. Because <laughs> all you other fuckers are out there running around without your mask on. <laughs> oh, How would you like to catch COVID from Smash Mouth? Some of them have their own horror story going on now. Yes, which is insane. But anyways... Dawn of the Dead has, again, Goblin did the music. It's amazing. I love that there are seven different versions of this, and some of them are terrible. The Italian version, or the European version, yeah. is an action movie. Oof. It's just them shooting zombies and running around. But, yeah, Night of the Living Dead was a sensation. Because there was no copyright, so everyone was just showing it for free and making money off of it at midnight movies for years. And then the call for George Romero to make a sequel got so big that uh, De Laurentiis brought him out to fucking Italy cool. for six weeks to write the script and not get bothered. Yeah. That's how he wrote it. And, like, Tom Savini is the shit. Right. And then the actors in this are unknown. They're all really fucking good. Flyboy gets better as the movie goes on if you watch it. Just <sighs> he needs a little time. He needs to become a person. But just the panic is real. The idea that there's a fucking zombie plague going on and you have two guys on the news just arguing with each other mm. about what's happening and what's fake and people shouldn't believe you and you can't put religion in the way of it. You can't think about it like it's a normal thing. It's all just foreshadowing for our lives now. Romero got it. And also the scene where they're in the helicopter and there's just a bunch oh. of hibblies sitting around <laughs> drinking beer and shooting these fuckers like it's sport. This movie. It's the mall, too. It's the mall, man. The mall is amazing. They're just going back because that's, they, that's what they know. It's pure motor instinct. Every, where do you go? We're safe. The mall. <laughs> and they all sort of lose it in their own way. Mm. But also just that little scene, my favorite scene is when they landed the first gas station and the one zombie steps up on the fucking crate and gets his head chopped oh. off with a blade oh, because you get to learn who everybody is this is like what's missing for is all these Savini? other no it's actually a friend of romero that everybody suggested because he's notoriously had a low forehead <laughs> oh i'm saying like the, the effects like oh the effects is savini yeah. yeah like if you see anybody do any stunts in this movie it's most likely tom savini <laughs> but that scene where they land in the refueling station Roger's there, he's got the zombie, getting his head cut off. Faye and Flyboy go out to the barn. They got to deal with zombies. And then you see Peter dealing with the kid zombies that come out when he's getting the coffee. Oh, that's spooky and shit. Then it's spooky. And then, like, they all, like, come together after you see how they handle things separately. You learn about them. You see their strengths. And then from there, the trajectory of their characters takes them on the arc. He respects the living and the dead equally, mm -hmm. and it shows if it wasn't for this movie... Zombies would still just be sort of like a joke or like a pass away thing. And now it's a terrible multi-billion dollar industry. <laughs> it does go in like every possible direction yes. for zombies. And he honestly facilitated it with Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. That it, zombies could go in any direction you want. And I agree with that entirely. And the personalness of it, the poeticness of it, the 
Dawn of the Dead really is, in my opinion, where George Romero really becomes auteur truly for me, where he had been indie filmmaker. And like you said, it's interesting, too. And something we'll talk about, but like the Italians offering money and bringing people. This would be with Westerns or a lot of things, particularly one guy, Dino De Laurentiis. But a lot of people in modern Hollywood, for instance, Hollywood has always looked for when money to be offered to it for a while it was corporations it's not really happening right now now a lot of like chinese business interests are facilitating a lot of hollywood movies and we'll see how that plays out but it's interesting that at this moment in the 70s a lot of italian film producers were the ones really in my mind pushing money into the weirdest and coolest projects in hollywood now we're going to talk about him okay So I'm going to bring this up. But in 1978, we shouldn't talk about it too long because, spoiler alert, we're going to have a few episodes about him. But in 1978, a man named John Carpenter makes a movie called Halloween in which a man named Michael Myers decides to murder an entire Illinois town. This is John Carpenter's third film, Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, Nick Castle. Now, I don't give a shit what you say. I don't give a shit. This is the beginning of the slasher movie. Like, I understand what you're saying of the influences, but this is, there is a murder maniac who is an iconic, almost comic book character, almost a demigod in cinema, And he's not a person, really. Or is he? And he has a knife. No, he's the shape. Right. That's what he's credited as. That's what he's called. He's called an it. And he's now out to end things. And it's... Like I said, I think we should leave this as a little bit... I would like to hear a little bit of your thoughts, but we should leave this as a I want to start with, I don't give a shit what you say. Yes. But this is the first slasher movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And stay tuned, because we will talk about this quite a bit in depth. But I think we should keep moving. I spit on your grave. Didn't like it. Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake, it's Philip Kaufman. Really good version. It's really fun. Donald the ending Sutherland. of that is fucking amazing. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland losing I've his... So much cocaine all over his nose. <laughs> Eyes wide. <laughs> There is a movie I want to bring up. It's a movie called The Legacy. Have you ever seen this movie? I don't believe so. Sam Elliott, Catherine Ross. I bring it up. It's really wild style. It's about this American couple who, it's that story of like that they get an inheritance in England and they have to go to a haunted house and this haunted family to get the inheritance and then they try to get it. I bring it up. It's not that great a movie, but it's really fun, and Richard Marquand directed it, and Richard Marquand would direct Return of the Jedi, and Richard Marquand has a really nice sense of, like, how to use special effects, and there's some really fun shit in it. I just bring it up. Have you ever seen The Legacy? Nope, just said oh, that. We should watch that. We should watch that. Uh, have you ever seen Magic? Richard Attenborough's Magic with oh, yeah. Anthony with Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Dude which is based on a William Goldman book that I love. It's honestly kind of a tragic, sad book, but really kind of wild about it would, in my mind, 
go into things like the prestige and about magicians getting too close to the edge and what they're really up to. It's interesting. It's creepy. It's creepy. It's not necessarily. Dennis, yeah, it's Andy like a, Hopkins is fucking oh, weird. In and it. I guarantee, I guarantee Ted Demi saw that movie. You know what I'm saying? Like that movie and Anthony Hopkins' performance in that movie and Margaret is great. Burgess Meredith, that movie. I'm not saying it would directly lead into him being Hannibal Lecter, but I guarantee that Ted Demi saw that movie. Hmm, 1978. There's a movie directed by Joe Dante, which we talked about. Universal Studios tried to sue Roger Corman for having Joe Dante direct a movie called Piranha. They were getting ready to sue them as a ripoff for Jaws. And interestingly enough, and this would come back later, but Steven Spielberg stepped in, said that he liked the movie and that he didn't want them to do it. And so they didn't sue him. And then interestingly enough, a couple years later, Steven Spielberg would produce a Joe Dante movie called Gremlins that would make $200 million at the box office and probably a billion dollars in merchandising and licensing ever since. See, the funny thing about that is I saw Barracuda (laughs) before I saw Piranha. Was that Hart? Was that the members of... (laughs) No, that was a fucking... Uh, Wayne Crawford movie. I brought this up about the idea, though. For me, I am actually more frightened. If someone said, like, put a gun to my head, get into a tank full of piranhas or a tank with a bunch of sharks in it, you get into the tank full of sharks. Sharks don't give a fuck about humans. You've seen Piranha, yes? Yeah, a long time ago. It's wild style. It's about a thing about how in Vietnam they had a thing called Operation Razor Tooth in which the CIA was going to release piranhas to murder everyone. Doesn't seem that far off. It doesn't, but also Joe Dante is kind of fun in that way, you know, where things are, it's a little hyperized. Where if you've ever seen The Burbs or Gremlins, these are horror comedies, horror action. They have horror elements, but they are fun. I don't know. John Carpenter that same year made a movie called Someone's Watching Me with Lauren Hutton. Someone's watching. I never watch it. Yeah, it does pretty no. Any 78 thoughts? Uh, the Fury is not great, but it's worth a watch. Ooh. The old Douglas is in it. All right. I think it's time. 1979. We're doing it. The last year of the 70s. And you can already feel the influence of Hollywood from Jaws, from Halloween. Hollywood is feeling the pressure to begin making horror movies. And they're beginning to take chances and they're beginning to bring on different people and they're beginning to start a whole different thing. You can go back to the first episode of our 80s horror where we more succinctly talk about this. But I think the first one, it comes up alphabetically. But another genre that has been maligned for a long time before the 70s, I'm not going to bring up Star Wars much, I'm just saying, but in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, sci-fi is a lot of this island, Earth, and the goofiest bunch of goofy shit you could possibly imagine. And so a lot of people were not really expecting Ridley Scott's Alien. You could make an argument that it's the most influential of maybe any movie that came out in the 70s, but Ridley Scott decided to take influence from H.R. Giger and Sid Meier, combine the two, 
and make one of the weirdest, wildest fucking movies I've ever seen. Uh, Nick, I know you're a fan of Alien. What do you think? There's absolute classic. Alien is perfectly directed. It's all the sets are amazing. All the special effects are great. The acting is superb. Superb. I want to send a special fucking RIP to Ian Holm to fucking. If you've never seen Alien, I don't want to spoil anything. But Ian Holm is something else in that movie. As much as Sigourney Weaver. He's no Tom Skerritt. <laughs> but he's good. The twists are great. The fact that it's a horror creature that is unlike anything you've ever seen in horror. And I will make this argument. You can watch Alien right now. And it looks better than most of the fucking movies coming out. It still, to this day, looks better it's a better fucking movie. We can save some of this for our Ridley Scott. You can go back and listen to our Sigourney Weaver episode. But you've heard us gush on Alien. But man. R.I.P. Harry Dean Stanton. R.I.P. Harry Dean Stanton. Ridley Scott still going strong. He's 113 now, right? I think. Yeah. Still directing. He was born in 1841. Yafet Kodo. I mean, <laughs> dude. Veronica Cartwright. So many iconic fucking maniac characters in this. Alien is... Okay, we, we gotta go through this. Amityville Horror? I mean, as much as I like... Yeah. Barbara Streisand's husband. <laughs> it's kind of shitty. It's so dumb. It's so fucking oh shitty. Oh my God, bees or flies or whatever. I haven't seen it forever. After also, when you go back and realize that that story is full of shit, that whole story yeah. is full of shit. Everybody, there are no ghost stories that are real no. in movies about haunted houses. That's not true, but... It's true. But particularly about that kind of bullshit. The Brood, David Cronenberg, mad at his ex-wife. I mean, I don't know who's mad at, but it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, Dominique, Michael Anderson, Dracula, John Badham. I don't know if any of these are popping out at you. Any of these? Phantasm. Phantasm is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. It is the accidental art house film. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, everything they did was deliberate. They knew what they were doing. Don Criskelly admits he had no idea what the hell he was doing. He accidentally made a movie that is so surreal and so nightmarish just because he had no idea how to run a film set, how to direct a movie, how to write a script. This guy fell ass backwards into gold. He did. He had no idea what he was doing. He just run around bumping dicks in the forest, and he found the fucking tree that just gave out horror classics. And it's insane. And you could tell he doesn't know what he's doing when you watch the rest of these sequels. But the first one, I absolutely love, other than that scene where they play acoustic guitars on the porch. Other than that, this movie is shot for shot, an incompetent mess <laughs> of just beautiful horror. I will say this. Phantasm, more than maybe any of the movies we've said, I think is a stupid movie, but I watch it and enjoy it every time I watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's hard I, not to enjoy. It's so bizarrely enjoyable. I would make the argument that it is not frightening. In no way is Phantasm 
frightening. It's got some scary parts. It's it, you, And I also admit my ghoulishness. I was talking to my good friend Meg, who is much more frightened of just, if she sees something that's like kind of spooky, like a, a, she doesn't like horror movie trailers, you know what I'm saying? Or particularly a shout out to my mom, who I love, who like, can't watch Stranger Things if I don't watch it with her because Stranger Things is too much. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not bashing on these people. I know I'm damaged goods, you know? But maybe Phantasm is scary. <laughs> but to me, I love the tall man. I love the... And the weird sci-fi-ness of it, it's crazy pants. It's... Yeah. And I appreciate just the last little thing on Phantasm. It goes into Brian De Palma a little bit. That thing that De Palma said once that really stuck out to me where he said something like... Sometimes the movie almost makes itself, and you know it's going to be great. You can't even screw it up. And then sometimes you make a movie, and you are just building sandcastles, and the waves are just just destroying them at every second. And Phantasm, for Don Kroskelly, <laughs> it just happened. It just worked. Uh, Prophecy by John Frankenheimer with Talia Shire and Robert Foxworth. I don't think I saw that one. It's fun. It's pretty stupid. I think that's it. I got a couple real fast. Zombie Holocaust. Zombie Holocaust. They did kill those people. Zombie Holocaust. They did kill those people. Um, <laughs> I want to go on a little rant real fast about when Do a stranger it. calls. It has one of the greatest opening 15 mm. minutes in film history. It's been ripped off to death. Call is coming from inside the house. Oh. And the babysitter goes upstairs and the fucking kids are murdered. It's great. It's Carol Kane. And then Charles Dunning is the cop. He's the detective. So that's 15 minutes in a fucking 90-minute movie. And then it switches to a different kind of horror film. Horror film about the United States mental health facilities. This guy gets thrown into a mental hospital. Huh? They're going great. We're the best ones. We got <laughs> so many murder. We got so many mental murderers. <laughs> we'll let them loose on the street. They're all homeless now. No privatized prisons. Go great. So the rest of this movie is just this guy who's released, who's clearly not recovered fully, and then he goes out and tries to kill people again. But, like, everybody goes on about that first scene, like it's one of the greatest horror films of all time. The first 15 minutes, it's suspenseful. You can't take that away from them. Wes Craven would take it and turn it into an empire. But to just ignore the fact that the movie is a statement on mental health, I know. And how we abandon people who need it. You bring up a very good point. We talked about how the suburban, like, docileness for 70s horror, but also about how mental health was beginning to be neglected and how the general uh, Michael Myers, in my opinion, is a bit of a take on mental health and what it is and I don't know. He is also... He did escape. He is also... He's also the shape. He's also a golem. He's he's literally an evil golem. Yeah. He is a nightmare creature that is not a human. But but that idea, though, of... When you get into these movies, particularly like Cronenberg movies, people who need help, whose minds are disintegrating, and if the world was set up to help these people, we wouldn't have a movie. But we don't have a world like that. We have a world where these people get wilder and wilder yeah. and crazier and crazier and deeper and deeper into mayhem. I love it. Hmm. I want to bring up one more movie before we go to the wall. Let's the do it. Let's do it. It's Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I, yes. which is an Italian horror film, mm-hmm. which is a sequel to an unofficial sequel slash official sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Because Dawn of the Dead was released mm. 
Because also we kept saying De Laurentiis, it was Argento. Argento had the rights right. to... Uh, I just said Dino De Laurentiis because he, he... Yeah, I also said it too. He, he, he Halloween, everything. I mean, yeah. And his daughter ruined the Food Network. But anyways... <laughs> um, <laughs> she's got it. She's kind of cute. Coming for you, Jada. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. She's got a real big head. Be, she's got a giant skull. She looks like one of those fucking aliens from um, Independence Day. But I had nothing against her. It's just the way she says, spaghetti. We get it. You're Italian. We're, my mom's from Italy, too. She doesn't fucking speak like that. Anyway, like when people say San Francisco. Oh, my God. And you're God. like, uh, dude, it's been San Francisco for a long yeah, time. Calm down. Okay. But Zombie in Italy is called Zombie 2 because it's a sequel to Zombie because Argento had the rights. So then they went out and released Zombie 3. Under the title Zombie 3. So if you go watch Zombie, which is fucking crazy, really good effects, and you go to look for Zombie 2 before you watch Zombie 3, there is no Zombie 2. Zombie <laughs> is Dawn of the Dead. Zombie is Zombie 2, and Zombie 3 is actually just Zombie 3. Hold on, my nose and is And that's bleeding. a total piece of shit. So. <gasps> I love this. I don't know where I was going with it, but I... So what I want to say. We'll get we'll get into this more in our Italian horror. Where this is going to be great, particularly our Argento episode, but and Dino De Laurentiis. There will be some great stuff, but I appreciate you bringing this up. But I think it's time. I don't want to do too many because there's so many that we could put into the Blockbuster Film School dumpster. Sizzle. All right, we're gonna do the dumpster. My dumpster. I got to toss this out here. The Amityville Horror sucks. It is a stupid movie. It is not scary. Everyone thinks it is a good movie. James Brolin should be ashamed of himself. That movie is not cool. Margot Kidder sucks in that movie. That movie sucks. It sucks. I'm sorry. You can kiss my ass. It is not a real horror story. The fact that it created an entire book genre of assholes claiming their house was haunted when it wasn't. The, it's all Catholic BS. It's the most bullshit horror story I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. It is trash bag garbage. And the fact that the Amityville horror has just pervade itself into modern culture forever and ever and ever is just the doofiest bunch of bullshit. Nick, what's your dumpster pick for the 70s? I know there's a lot. And mine, I think, was more of like the mendacity, not just of that movie, but the initial story and that it's based on these books that are lies. They're just lies. And it makes me crazy. It's not a real horror story. It's upsetting me. I don't know. I'm going to go for the fish in the barrel. Shoot it. I spit on your grave. Yeah. It's not a horror film. It's a snuff film. Yeah. They should just call it Sexual Assault the Movie. There's a it's, lot. It's garbage. And in the 70s, that is the one dark side we didn't really talk about that much. There's a lot of these like sort of sexual exploitation movies that are portrayed as horror movies. And they're just... Yeah. Like sexual exploitation movies, which, look... If that's what they're portrayed, if they're portrayed as pornography or something like, and it's like a BDSM kind of thing, then great. But they're portrayed as horror movies, and I just don't think that they are, and they're not really well executed. And they're the people who take them seriously are people who already know the difference between mm, that and, and this. But the people who are going to watch that and get the wrong ideas. Right. You know. And look, I understand the thin line. When they mix the sex and the violence, I like it, right? That's the nature of the human being, okay? That's the nature of mixing the sex and the violence is horror movies. But just making it some sort of weird thing where it's just some creepy rape fantasy and that's all it is, yeah, is a yeah. big thumbs down. I agree. I agree. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School. Whoa! 
It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. You want to start? My number four is Phantasm. All right. I don't think I can say anything else other than, you know, you can't trust all people. You can't trust little people. You only trust people who are average height. That's true. But people who do have an orb also be worried. Yes. It's disconcerting. It's disconcerting. I would say my number four, you also have to be worried about teenage girls who have telekinetic powers. They are upsetting. And at any moment, they can burn down the prom. Carrie is dope. As we talked about, when De Palma is on, he is on. And his shit is rad. And it is something else that is even outside of horror. It is truly electric, a truly great movie. You should watch Carrie. It's nuts. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> Nick, what's your three? It's going to come off a little low in the list, but I'm just going off of feelings and love oh, and what makes me happy. Don't make me cry. Number three is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I don't know the way I turned it Eddie Van Halen, but RIP. Uh, RIP. It's amazing. It's amazing. That dinner scene is one of the most Tube. horrifying things ever. <laughs> oh my God. And there's only like, oh, there's not a lot of blood in there. Yeah. And, but it's just like that woman was literally tortured because those are not real actors. No one knew what they were doing. That old man was basically dead. And then they really fucking accidentally hit her with the fucking mallet. And then there was real blood that they were sucking out of her finger. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's pandemonium. It's nuts. And I fully agree with you being on the wall because these are movies that if you've never seen them, you need to see them. You need to experience them. I think that's what the wall is all about. And if you've never seen Texas Chainsaw, good Lord. And with that, I will say my three. Don't fuck around with Ouija boards, okay? Don't fuck around with Catholic priests. Don't fuck around with ancient demons. Just do not do it. That's a general warning. But if you want to see people who do that, and it will still maybe be such a spook show, because William Friedkin is a spook show, you watch The Exorcist. You need to see The Exorcist. If you've never seen it, you are incorrect. It's going to freak you out, and you're going to puke pea soup all over super producer Brian Tepps. What's your two there, Nick? Ooh. Just because we're doing John Carpenter mm. for two parts next week. Yes. you going to save it. I'm sliding Halloween from two to five. Fair. Number two is Suspiria. Good one. It is a Technicolor nightmare. Oh, my God. Is it ever... Such I mean, crazy pants music. There are plot holes <laughs> in bigger all Italian, than in all Italian horror. Yeah, they're like that's we, the thing. It's not even plot holes. They're just like we're not going to even tell yeah. that part of the story. Like, if you are willing <laughs> to suspend disbelief for ninety minutes, <laughs> and then like for seven to eighteen years after you see it, yeah. and not really think about it, you'll love Suspiria. You will love it. You'll straight love it. I agree. I agree. How does she go from invisible to being able to see her shadow? <laughs> How? 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 It doesn't make any sense. I don't you know. can't 
hear somebody right. while you're in a car no. driving through a rainstorm. No, it's nonsense. It's anyways. G- anyway, what's your number two? <laughs> my number two. This is at a point where these are two of my favorite movies, and I'm deciding. I'm deciding that in space, no one can hear you scream. It's Ridley Scott's Alien. It is a masterpiece. Oh, of that, all. that's for me. I think you meant Jaws too. <laughs> I was going to do Jaws of Revenge, but that came out in the 80s. Yeah, I know. Uh, in 1979, Ridley Scott decided to just change all of cinema altogether from all genres of all things, of all people, of all the shit, and just make one of the most iconic, important movies ever made that's also just watchable and dope. And you, I don't give a fuck if you don't like Alien, you're an idiot. That's, there we go. But also, if you've never seen it, it's time. It's time. The FX code is a dreamboat in it. Also, do not let a little octopus thing throat fuck you, okay? Because it might shoot an alien down in your belly, and you think you're cool until you go to dinner the next night. That's a very specific warning. That is a very specific warning, but it's a real, true warning. Also, here's a real warning mm. from Ellen Ripley herself. If we break quarantine, there's a chance we're all going to die. That's the fucking goddamn truth. What's your number one there, Top Gun? I resent that. Anyways. Here's a Top Gun on the show. I just, the movie ruins the phrase. That's fair. Besides, I always saw myself as more of an Anthony Edwards. (laughs) You're not going to die, Goose. We're all going to die. You're more Meg Ryan. We're all going to die. Yeah. Sorry, I was about to go on a Top Gun rant. <laughs> we'll save that for our Tony Scott episode. Number one is when there's no more room in hell, mm. the dead will walk the earth. <laughs> Fucking metal is shit. And I saved it for you because I love it. I adore it. Fucking the dawn of the day. What a great name, too. Yeah. Like, and truly iconic. And now we have... A genre. And it just sort of fits with the trilogy because you have mm. night yes. and you have dawn and then they just have the whole earth on day. Yeah. But Dawn of the Dead, this movie not in my life, I would be a lesser person. <laughs> it's so good that Zack Snyder could make a remake of it that was good. You know what? I honestly... Like it's that good of a... Like it's like a Shakespeare play. Yes. Like, it, But also, that, I'm so glad Zack Snyder made a remake of it just so I knew my feelings for the original were true. It's so good, though. It's so good. Stone of the Dead, I agree. My number one is the one I brought up in the first place, and it stuck with me my entire life. And listen, man, if you're afraid of the ocean, you're a coward. But I will tell you, if you are on the USS Indianapolis and it sinks... And you don't die when you're supposed to die. A supernatural shark will come back to try and lure you back out into the fucking water to murder your ass. And it will do it. That's how it works. And Steven Spielberg will create still one of the weirdest, most watchable, spooky-ass movies that doesn't even make sense on why it's so good and so watchable. It's just dope. It's Jaws. It's fucking Jaws! Jaws is, and once again, if you've never seen Jaws or Dawn of the Dead, then what the shit are you doing with your life? Do you even like movies? Well, 
in defense of some of our listeners, yes. who I'm hoping are too young to have heard of these, because <laughs> we've reached a new demographic. Yes. Just give them time. Yes. That's fair. That's fair. We are saying, that's the wall. It's time for you to watch these movies. Yes. They're amazing. Well, we got 70s. We're, we're all wearing bell bottoms. Brian Taps has a full afro going. It's pretty dope. He's, he's, the collars are gigantic. They are over his ears. We've disco danced through this entire thing. Yes. With the, David Berkowitz was here. It was a whole thing. It was a grand old time. It was 70s horror. And I think I had a good time. Nick, did you have a good time? Yes. Yes. We will be back with a very special two-part for the rest of Halloween. You may have caught on what it is if you were listening to context clues. It's Paul Thomas Wes Anderson. <laughs> it's the other one. Someone nobody likes. It's a combination. We're just watching all the Resident <laughs> Evil movies. Oh, no. 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 We love you guys. Please follow us on Instagram. Please follow us on Facebook. Please hit us up, our Patreon, Blockbuster Film School, backslash Patreon.com. If you feel like throwing us a couple bucks, we love you guys. And we'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear you talk to us. Hit us up. DJ. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Subscribe on Spotify. Please do. It's a grand old time, and we love you guys, and we love doing the show. But we'll be back next week with the second part of the spookiest of spooky time, Blockbuster Film School, the spookiest of all the spooky directors. I'm Alex Bonner with Nicholas Satter and super producer Brian Tapps, and we will see you next week.